You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, starting verse 14, uh, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, An incredible prayer. And uh, again, if you haven't been following along, I would encourage you to go back and listen uh, to the earlier messages. Uh, But we've been looking at, at least in the last couple of sessions, uh, this idea of the love. Uh, There's this interesting progression that is happening uh, in the content itself. Excuse me. Uh, He says in verse 17 uh, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, he's not not saying, hey, would you accept Christ into your heart? Uh, Because he's already talking to believers. And so when you get down to the essence of what he's saying is, hey, would you let Jesus be the big deal of your life? Hey, would you just get crazy about Jesus? Would you just center your life on Jesus? Made your whole life be built around and upon the reality of Jesus in your life? Which is just a phenomenal thought in and and of itself. But there's this progression that begins to, to take place. So when Christ is dwelling in your hearts through faith, he says at the end of verse 17 that you are to be rooted and grounded in love. And again, love is not an emotion. It's not some feeling. Love is a person whose name is Jesus. He is love itself. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16, that he is love. And so here's this whole idea in the passage that here is Christ, and he is dwelling in my heart through faith, that he's the very center of my life. So what am I then called to do? Well, I am then to take the roots of my soul. I am to be rooted and grounded in him and his love, his life. And again, the whole idea of the rooted is that it gives stability, uh, it gives nourishment, uh, that I'm to be built tall and strong, right? There's all that contained in this idea of being rooted and grounded in love. And then he jumps into verse 18, uh, which we looked at last time, and he says that, that we are somehow able to comprehend. Could you imagine this? Somehow you're able to get your mind wrapped around the reality of the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of love itself. So here's Christ. He's dwelling in my heart through faith, and I'm rooted and grounded in him. And somehow, as I am rooted and grounded in love, I am somehow able to comprehend that which is incomprehensible, which is the love of God. Because how on earth are you ever going to understand fully the love of God? That is impossible. Why? Because this thing is, a, is, is measureless. And yet I love Paul's terminology that somehow, as I am rooted and grounded in him, as my whole life is built upon him, that I'm able to somehow grasp the very thing that is incomprehensible 
which is him. And then he says in verse, uh, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And again, that word know is the word gnosko, which is not just know information about the love. This isn't just, hey, learn some great facts about the love. This isn't just, hey, even have a perception of love. This is, hey, you are to embrace and experience the reality of love in your life, which surpasses knowledge, which is the intellectual understanding thing. So somehow, when Christ is the very center of my life, and I am rooted and grounded in him, I'm able to grasp the incomprehensible and I am to experience and get my life wrapped up in the very essence of him, which is love, which goes far beyond having an academic understanding of it. Everyone tracking so far? So Paul's going crazy at this idea of love and get wrapped up in Jesus and just go berserker with Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Now, as we get into the end of verse 19, I, I need to confess, I feel so inadequate uh, I don't even know what to fully do with this passage. I have, I have looked at this for years. I have prayed, God, you've got to give me understanding. And I was with great excitement and anticipation and trepidation, <laughs> truth be told, uh, about coming into this message because I knew it was coming because you know, it's, it's in the passage. So I knew it's coming. And I'm like, uh-oh, here it is. Because how on earth am I supposed to talk? How am I supposed to even begin to understand how, how am I going to, I feel like uh, the, the best thing, I, I had this thought this morning. Uh, the only way I can describe how I feel, and this is a horrible illustration, but it's like if I was a little tiny fish and I've only lived on one coral reef my entire life, and then someone asked me, will you explain the depths of the ocean? It's like, oh sure, I could do that. How on earth are you going to do that when, when, all you've, when your whole experience is this little tiny one coral on a coral reef? And so, I feel completely inept, uh, but it's in the passage, so I have to address it. <laughs> but I think in all honesty, this is one of those things that we will never reach the bottom of. It's just like, how are you going to comprehend the fullness of the love of God? Good luck. Go after it. <laughs> it's one of those things. Listen to this at the very end of verse 19. Again, this is, this is in the whole progression. So, hey, let Christ be the very center of your life. Be rooted and grounded in him. Comprehend the incomprehensible. Hey, would you experience and know the love of Christ, which goes beyond the academic understanding of that? And all of it is leading up to this point at the end of verse 19. So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. What on earth would it mean in our lives if we could experience and be filled up with the fullness, the fullness of God. And I don't know what you want to do with that, but that is so incomprehensible to me. What would that even look like in a life? Uh, it's like that uh, D.L. Moody heard Henry Varley over in England, and Henry Varley made the statement, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully yielded to him. And D.L. Moody, when he heard that, says, oh, I aim to be the man. And yet you looked at the amazing things that God did with D.L. Moody's life, and I, I am still convinced the world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman fully yielded to him. You, you look at the missionary biographies, and you're like, well, as incredible as those stories were, if you look at George Mueller or Hudson Taylor or Amy Carmichael or the myriad of others, 
And you're like, wow, look at the crazy reality of what God did through that individual. That's still not the fullness. It's like Elisha coming to Elijah. And Elijah says, hey, uh, what would you like? And, and I will pray and we'll, you know, God, God will give it to you. And Elisha says, you know all the stuff that God's been doing in your life? I want double. And when you read the passage, even Elijah, it seems like he went, oh, you're asking a difficult thing. Almost like, I don't know if that's possible. Because it seems like, at least in Elijah's mind in the, in the passage, it seems like Elijah's like, I thought I had the fullness. And you want double fullness? How is that possible? You want double? And he's like, all right, well, I guess if you see me go up, then the Lord will grant it to you. And Elisha had double. So I, 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 don't, I don't know, what on earth does this look like lived out in the reality? And by the way, that was Old Covenant before the influence of the Holy Spirit. So if Elisha, what Elisha had was double what Elijah had, that is nothing compared to what you had. Because according to Jesus, John the Baptist is the greatest of the old, of the old covenant, which means John the Baptist surpassed even Elisha. And yet he's at the very bottom of the kingdom of what we experience. So what do you want to do with all this? Isn't this crazy? I, we haven't even gotten into the passage. I understand that. I'm just trying to tell you how horribly awkward this is. Because uh, it's like, uh, Nathan, talk about the fullness of God in your life. I got 1% of 1% of 1%. I, don't, I mean, I, I know there's so much more. So what does it mean to have the fullness of God who is incomprehensible, that you cannot contain his fullness? Do you see the struggle? All right, well, all that being said, <clears throat> when you get into this passage, uh, the word filled up, the word filled up, uh, it's used all over the scriptures in the New Testament especially. Uh, but the word filled up, it's the, the Greek word plero. It means to fulfill, it means to complete, it means to fill, it uh, means to, I love this one, to become generously supplied with. Isn't that awesome? And the idea of the passage, the, the picture it paints in the Greek is I have this cup and I have this outside content. It's called water. And I take this pitcher of water and I pour the outside content into the cup and it is being filled up. That's this word. Uh, for example, this is the word that's used in Acts chapter 2 uh, for Pentecost. That the outside God has come to live on the inside. What was that? That's plero. That, that the outside God, the content, God himself, has come to dwell within and he is filling up the apostles and the disciples. That's this word that's used. And again, this word is, is used all over the place. Uh, but one scholar, the, the way that they defined it was that it's a, it denotes a filling up toward a very specific goal. And I love the passage that, that Paul writes here because he gives the goal itself. Why are we filled up? Or where, what, what is the goal of the filling up? Well, it's to all the fullness of God. So the filling up then is for the purpose that you would have the fullness of God lived within. Does that make any sense? And that word fullness is, uh, the, so filled up is plero. Fullness is pleroma, which means fullness or full measure or that which fills up. And one way you could translate it, it's the stage of having every necessary or normal part or component. And there's everything that is necessary, everything that you need is being supplied, which sounds 
an awfully lot like 2 Peter 1.3, doesn't it? That everything you need for life and godliness is found in one place, Jesus. Uh, this idea of the fullness, the fullness of God uh, that you're being filled up with, that fullness idea is, shows up in a whole bunch of places in Scripture. And as I was walking through this, I was looking these up, and it started getting awkward because I'm like, I don't, again, I don't know what you want to do with this. Uh, for example, in Colossians 1.19, listen to this. It said, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus. So the fullness of the Godhead, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the fullness of God, it was the delight of the Father for the fullness to reside in Jesus. So when you looked at the life of Jesus, what did you see? You saw the fullness of God dwelling in him. Now that one makes sense to me because he's God. Uh, John 1.16, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. And this is where it starts getting awkward because, okay, I, I understand Jesus had the fullness of the Godhead residing within him. Why? Because he's a part of the Godhead. That makes sense to me. But we are not a part of the Godhead. Please nod your heads. <laughs> I know it's early, uh, but we want to make sure we had that one covered. We are not God. We understand that. So, okay, Jesus has the fullness of the Godhead within him. Praise the Lord. Amen. And yet, we somehow get to partake of and share in the fullness? Yes. So John 1.16, for of his fullness we've received. So the fullness of the Godhead resides in Jesus, and then Jesus, in his fullness, we get to receive of that. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we, we're going to get there eventually, probably in a couple of years from now. Uh, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the fact that God has given the church apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and, and that, that whole realm, right? There's that fivefold thing. And here you have these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And the whole reason that God has given those to the church is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Listen to this. The reason why the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers right, are there is to equip the saints for the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until, so this is going to be happening, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So where's all this thing aiming? All of this is heading toward a place where you and I, as the body of Christ, are experiencing and living out the full maturity of Christ unto his fullness. I hate to break this to you. We're not there. At least I look at the modern church and I'm like, we're not there. I look at the early church. They seem closer than we are now. So it seems like we are degressing, not progressing. But hey, what, what, <clears throat> what are we called to be as a, as a body of Christ? Hey, we are called, by the way, the whole body, we are called to do the work of the ministry, not a pastor, not a minister, is to do the work of the ministry. The body is to do the work of the ministry, which I think is really significant. 
And we are to be building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's interesting in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Paul says this, he says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Right? It goes back to that idea. Okay, the fullness of God lives in Jesus, dwells in Jesus. And I would say, amen. And then he goes on and says, and in him, you have been made complete. And that word complete means to be filled full. So think about this. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And then in Jesus, when I'm in Jesus, then that fullness fills me up. And I am filled full with the fullness of Jesus who is filled full of God. He is God. You're all looking at me like you're, like I'm speaking Greek. Isn't that an incredible thought? And again, I, I, I don't know what you want to do with this. Because what on earth would the fullness of God look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. And so now my life is to be filled up to the fullness of the life of Jesus. Which, by the way, is the same thing he's been saying through this entire prayer. Let Christ reside in your hearts through faith. That you're to be rooted and grounded in love. Right? This, hey, you're to comprehend the incomprehensible. That you're to experience the love of Christ, which goes beyond academic understanding of it. Why? So that you be filled full of the very life of Jesus. But what would that practically look like in us? Uh, there's this idea throughout the New Testament, uh, and Paul plays on this all the time. It's this paradox of the uh, already but not yet. And, and he plays on this over and over throughout, throughout, his, throughout his writings. In other words, it's like you have something now, but it's not complete yet. Does that make any sense? In other words, uh, you hear this in the language of like, um, in, the, in the last days, and when Paul talks about the last days, it seems like he's talking about the days in which he lives. And he would say, you're correct. These are the last days. But you'd say, well, Paul, those last days have lasted for 2,000 years. Paul goes, correct. We're not done with the last days. Those are a lot of last days. I mean, but there's this idea that it's already here. The last days are already here. And yet it's not yet here. And if I could almost say the same thing about the fullness idea, there is a reality where it is already true that we get to experience the fullness of God now, and yet we are growing up into it. And so it's a not yet idea. Uh, for example, that, that same word fullness shows up in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, at the very end of chapter 1, he's talking about the fact that here is Jesus. He's you know, seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions, and has given a name above all other names. And, and all of that is, it is said that everything's been put under his feet in subjection, and he's head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's the one who is filling the church, and yet the church is the fullness of him. So are we the fullness? Or are we being filled up? Yes. Isn't that a great thought? 
And I've been trying to come up with an illustration, and this is cheesy, but this is the only one I can come up with. Uh, you have this five-year-old, this five-year-old boy, and he is male. He's a boy. I know in our culture today that's confusing, but there's only one other option. So, okay, that was a bad joke. Anyway, so regardless of what culture says, here's this five-year-old boy. He's a male. And yet, he is 100% a male, and he has the fullness of manhood in him, and yet he is growing up into the fullness of manhood. He's already, but not yet. And in a similar sense, you realize that's true about us, that we have the fullness of Jesus in our life. Praise the Lord! And yet, we do not have the fullness of Jesus in our life, because we are being filled up. Uh, If you want a different illustration... Uh, In Ezekiel chapter 47, you have this incredible picture of Ezekiel uh, going into the waters, measuring out the waters coming from the temple. And so the angel takes takes Ezekiel and he gets into the water. And it was just coming out as a little trickle, but he stands in the water and it's ankle deep. Now here's a question, or maybe here's, here's, maybe I'll make a statement. When Elijah is standing in the middle of the river, you realize he has the whole river. And yet, there's a progression in the passage because he measures out the cubit thing, right? It goes a thousand cubits. And suddenly, it's now, it goes, it goes from his ankle up to his knees. But it's the same river. So it's not like he's getting more of the river. He had the whole river. But yet, it's like he's getting more of the river. Or is the river getting more of him? It doesn't matter. The reality is he has the, wholeness of the, the fullness of the river, and yet he is growing up and progressing into the fullness of the river. And then as he keeps going further, it goes up to his waist, and then it's, it says it's so high he would have to swim in it or drown. Wouldn't that be a phenomenal thought if that was true about us? That you have the reality of the life of Jesus, the fullness of Christ in your life now, so you are not lacking anything. It's not that God, like when you become saved, gives you his, like his pinky and he's like, all right, well, I'll give you a little bit and then we'll see what you do and then we'll, we'll give you more. No, you, you get the fullness of Jesus. And yet, as you progress in the spiritual life, it's like you, like a light, uh, Ezekiel, is progressing down the river and it's getting deeper, but it's the same river. But you're growing up into it. But it is getting deeper. So, you know, are you getting more of the river? Is the river getting more of you? However you want to talk about this, it is an already but not yet paradox. Does that make any sense? So Paul says that you are to somehow comprehend the incomprehensible, that that you are to experience the love of God, the life of God himself, which goes far beyond just information above it. And what is the whole point of that? So that you would be filled to all the fullness of God himself. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, uh, there's this phenomenal passage that you know really well, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Uh, but most of us forget to keep reading and looking at verse 29. So l- let me just read this whole thing to you because it is a phenomenal illustration or a declaration of what God is wanting to do in your life. So Romans 8.28 starts by saying, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
But then he continues in verse 29, and he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, get this, to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you know what God's desire for your life is? That you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, have you ever played with Play-Doh? It's been a while for me, but I, I used to really love it. You know, you, you take the cool colored dough, Play-Doh stuff, and you know, and you're squishing it and you're making worms and snakes and butterflies and flowers and whatever it is that you make, right? But I don't, I don't know if you ever got one of those cool mold, molds. You know, it's like this little plasticky thing that has some sort of a shape. And you take the Play-Doh and you shove that Play-Doh into the mold. And you are literally squeezing that Play-Doh to be conformed to the mold. That's this idea. Do you know what God's doing with your life? He's taking all things in your life and using it for his purpose and his plan, for his good in your life. Why? So that he could take you and shove you into a mold called Jesus. And you are to look like Jesus. Now, you're not Jesus. I hate to break that to you. You are not Jesus. And yet you are filled with his very spirit. And God is taking your life, and like Play-Doh, he is shoving you into the mold. And you're like, well, yeah, but when I play with Play-Doh, there's always this little stuff that came out the sides. I know, he's going to cut that out of your life. Because it shouldn't be there. Why? It doesn't fit the mold. So I have to be willing for God to take my life, and regardless of my talent or my personality or my whatever, would I allow him to say, God, hey, would you just take my life and just squeeze me, and anything that doesn't fit into that mold, cut it out. Say, hey, if you want to change my personality, if you want to change my thought process, if you want to, hey, remove my talent, give me no talent, use my talent, doesn't matter. Why? Because I, I just want to look like Jesus. And he is conforming us to his image. Isn't it fascinating that when God chose Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, God says, Abraham, I want to do something so incredible through your life that when the nations look at your life, they're going to say, oh, I want your God. And you are going to be a blessing to the nations because I'm going to bless you. And somehow, Abraham was supposed to be a picture of the reality of the life of God to his world so that when the world looked at Abraham, they'd say, oh, I need that too. Uh, why did God, in the wilderness, why did God give the Israelites the Ten Commandments? And of course, you know, like, why, why did God say, do not lie? And of course, you know, I've, I've heard the excuse of like, well, you know, they're in community, and so it's really good not to lie to one another. Because it really helps community living. It really helps community living if I don't kill you. Right? So I probably shouldn't murder. Right? And, and so, so why, did, why did God give the Ten Commandments? Because it really, it really helps live in community. That's not why he gave the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's probably a subsidiary reason, but that's not why he gave it. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? He gave the Ten Commandments because he says, you are my chosen people. And when the world looks at you, they're going to see me. And so how you live and how you function, it's going to be a demonstration of my life. And God says, I don't lie. I'm truth. And so if you're going to call yourselves my people, the chosen people, you can't lie. Why? Because if you lie, what you're declaring to all the world is that your God lies. I don't lie, so you can't lie. 
God says, I'm not a murderer. So you can't murder. God says, I don't commit adultery. So you can't commit adultery. Does that make sense? That this is a revelation of his character. So that when the world looked upon the Israelites, they would say, wow, that's what your God's like. I need in on that. Wouldn't that be phenomenal if that was true of us? Because we are the fuller expression of this whole thing. We have the life of Christ within. We are to be filled with the fullness of God himself. And it is a yet, I mean an already, but not yet, truth. That is true. But shouldn't the world look at our lives and just go, wow, that's what God's like? I I need that God. Because don't you think if the fullness of God dwelt in my life, don't you think he would be oozing forth out of every pore of my body? I mean, don't, don't you think that he would just come out out of my language? Don't, don't you think he would be in my mind all the time? Don't, don't you think he'd be in my motives and my actions and my words and my life to such an extent that when the world looked at my life, they went, whoa, we see Jesus, and I need that. I need him. And your life is to be the declaration of Jesus to this world. Why? Because the fullness of God dwells within you. So think about this. If the fullness of God is to be in you, we're talking about his life. And if I can just give one illustration of this, and again, this is, this is not a complete list. But if you look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, right? these are the fruits of the Spirit. So when the Spirit of God, right, the life of Christ, comes to indwell your life, what is he going to produce? Fruit. And by the way, fruit is singular. So though there's a whole bunch of different, what we would call fruits, it's actually one. So that the fruit, that which is coming out of your life, is to be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Wouldn't it be interesting to have the fullness of those? That it wasn't like you just had those in in small measure. It wasn't like, well, if you squint, you can kind of see some love in their life. Every other Tuesday. That, well, yeah, yeah, they're joy-filled, but, you know, that's only once a month when they get their paychecks. You know, praise the Lord. And, wow, they are are full of peace, but that's only when they sleep. You know, and, and what if the reality of your life was that it actually looked like Jesus? Because if the fullness of him dwelt within you, shouldn't the reality of his life be demonstrated in and through you? So shouldn't the world see love through your life? Shouldn't the world see joy through your life? Shouldn't the world see peace through your life? Shouldn't the world just see kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control through your life? Well, then how am I going to produce that? Oh, I have an idea for you. Grit your teeth and just produce the fruit. By the way, that doesn't work. (laughs) Well, how are you going to produce the fruit? You can't produce the fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But if the fullness of God dwells within me, then shouldn't that be doing something within me? And shouldn't he be producing his life? And, and shouldn't he be just be demonstrating himself? And this is not a grit your teeth and try to love. This is not a, wouldn't it be neat if the one who is love came to exhibit himself through your life in the fullest expression And you were never self-focused. You were never self-centered. You were never turning within. You were always just turning outward and rolling up your sleeves saying, hey, how can I meet your needs? And how can I pour my life out for you? And hey, what? 
Wouldn't it be neat if you didn't have to try to produce joy or go to something to produce joy, but you begin to realize that as Psalm 16 verse 11 says, that, that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, that he is the fullness of joy? Wouldn't it be amazing to realize that I didn't have to whip up peace in my life, but I was just to embrace the one who is the Prince of Peace? And wouldn't it just be an incredible thought that if his life so indwelt my own, wouldn't it be neat if the world saw him through me? And I don't, I don't care where you are on this progression, but if you are a Christian, you have the fullness. You're not lacking anything. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3. So you have the fullness, but most of us stop. Most of us just presume, well, okay, I guess that's good. But what would it look like to actually continue to grow and progress so that the absolute fullness of God resided within you? I don't even know what that looks like. Could you imagine meeting someone who had the fullness of love and the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace and the fullness of kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? I mean, you would just be dumbfounded, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be like, I need to hang out with that person more? And by the way, do you want me to call people who live like this? I think we would have to call them a Christian. Could you imagine if a whole group of people got together and started living like this in community? Do you know what we'd have to call them? The church. This would change everything, wouldn't it? And the church would no longer be some sort of a social club that we gather together once a week and, you know, check it off our list and do our little thing and say, thank you, that's wonderful, and I'll see you next week and goodbye. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be neat if a whole group of people who were just so in love with Jesus and just demonstrating his life and his love gathered together and just said, oh, let's do this together. Wouldn't, wouldn't that change your community? Wouldn't that just change the entire world? How could an unbeliever resist that? I don't actually think they could. That if I was actually walking in the fullness of the life of Christ, that would be so contagious. It would, it would make COVID look like nothing. I should stop. All right. I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to cause a problem. But, but you realize it would, it would make the bubonic plague, I'll use a better example. It would make the bubonic plague look like nothing. Because you're like, that was actually, that was contagious. And 50% of the people of the population died. So that seems a little bit more crazy, like a plague. But I'm not making a political statement. I might be making a political statement. But, but wouldn't it be phenomenal, though, if there was something so contagious about your life and it wasn't because of you, and it wasn't because of your talent, it wasn't because of your personality, and it wasn't because of anything that you did, it was because the living God lived within you. We need that. Ah, really quick. I want to give you three quick practical ideas that if you're going to actually walk and experience the fullness of of God in your life, you've got to practice th three things. That, hey, if you, if you actually want to not just have it, you want to keep progressing in it so that the absolute fullness can be exhibited in and through your life. And whether the absolute fullness is even possible this side of heaven, I don't even know. 
but I want to try. So if you want the fullness, uh, three things that uh, seems to me has to be going on in your life, and we'll just go through these really quickly, but number one, you're going to have to be humble. It's interesting, if I have a cup, and I'm going to have this outside content fill up that cup, it's going to demand that whatever is currently in the cup is tossed out. In other words, whatever is of you, whatever has been self-produced, whatever is of your own nature, whatever is just clinging into your life, would you be willing to throw that out so that his fullness can fill you up? See, I don't, I don't want there to be like, you know when you get done like drinking coffee or tea, there's always like that little puddle at the bottom you can't ever get rid of? It's like as much as you like, like there's still like a drop. I don't know how it stays in there. See, I don't want even a drop of Nathan to reside in my life because that is going to hinder the fullness of God of filling me up. Uh, we've used the illustration on here so many times of, you know, here I am, I'm clutching a handful of pebbles, just some rocks. And God says, hey, would you be willing to surrender your handful of pebbles so I can fill up your hands with diamonds? But you're, you'll never be able to grip the diamonds unless you first let go and relinquish and release the pebbles. So would you be willing to walk in humility and say, Lord, I release my life. I, I give up the rights to my life. You can do whatever you want with my life. Just fill me up with you. And, and I don't even want an ounce. I don't, I don't even want a drop of Nathan left in my cup. I just want the fullness of Jesus to be demonstrated. And I understand that God's going to use you, and he's going to use your talent and your personality and your wisdom. I, I get all that. But wouldn't it, be, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if you just had such an overwhelming humility that just says, Lord, none of me, all of you, just hide me behind the shadow of the cross. And I understand I'm fully participating in this. It's not like I've gone anywhere. It's just... I mean, I'm participating with Jesus in this, but, but Lord, like, like John the Baptist said, could I so get out of the way and decrease? Would you so increase and showcase yourself that it's not my life, it's now you that's being seen and demonstrated to this world? Because folks, I don't want the world to have any of me. There's nothing impressive about that. But there is something incredibly impressive about Jesus, and I want the world to see Jesus. And could I just be an open vessel through which the life of Jesus can be demonstrated and seen through? So number one, you're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to be empty so he can fill you. Uh, Number two, uh, you're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to be seeking. Uh, I understand. I come to Christ and and I have the fullness. Uh, But why would you want to stay in an ankle-deep measure of the fullness? Why wouldn't you, like Ezekiel, say, there's more? I mean, I have the fullness of the river. I get that. But I want to progress in the river so that I, I am drowning, that it is up over my head. And it's the same river. It's not, like the, it's, it's, it's not like the river's changed. It's the same river. But somehow I want more of this thing. And I want it to have all of me. So would you diligently keep progressing? You cannot be passive. You can't just stop when you have a little bit. Oh, I'm good. Again, this is an endless frontier. So why, why would you pitch your tents one step ahead of everybody else? Why don't you say, oh, there's, there's an endless frontier. I am pursuing as far as I can get in my lifetime. And diligently go after this thing. Hebrews 11:6. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to be intentional in this. And wouldn't it be amazing if God is opening himself up just saying, ah, how much of the fullness you want? Can I just dump my life in you? Will you just keep pursuing me? Will you just aggressively go after me? And will you just keep seeking after me? And, And somehow it is in the midst of the pursuit, the intentional, diligent pursuit of Jesus that somehow as Ezekiel kept walking forward in the river, this thing kept getting deeper. You can't be passive. Why would you be content with the love that you have and the joy that you have and the peace that you have? And you're like, well, I have it. I know you have it. But what if it's just a little tiny bud? Why would you say, I want to have like the promised land version of the fruit where the, where the grapes were so massive that it took two grown men the strength of two grown men to carry out one cluster of grapes on a pole. That's the size of the fullness that I want of my, of my fruit in my life, of the life of Christ. Why would you stop with like, oh, I can see it if I squint. It's the same fruit. So you have the fullness, but why don't you walk into the, the fullness of the fullness So would you go after it? Would you be diligent? Would you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else be added unto you? Matthew 6, 33. Would you diligently seek and would you diligently pursue and would you intentionally go after and would you just get crazy about Jesus? So number one, you gotta be humble. You gotta be empty. Number two, you gotta be diligent. You gotta be seeking. And number three, you've gotta be obedient. I find it interesting in the Christian life that we cannot progress further than where God has asked us to obey. In other words, if God has asked us to obey in something, it's really hard to progress in your spiritual life further than that if you're unwilling to obey. In other words, if you find that your spiritual life is kind of slowing down or it's kind of bogged down or it's just gotten kind of stale, my guess is if you would go back to the last time God asked you to obey something and would obey that, it would suddenly free you up to begin to keep pursuing So you've got to walk in obedience. If you're going to actually live under the fullness of God in your life, that is going to demand that you respond and obey what he does in your life. Can I ask this? What is it in your life that is hindering the fullness of God to be demonstrated in and through you? What is it that is hindering that fullness of coming to completion? In other words, is there any sin in your life? Is there any unforgiveness in your life? Is, is there any passivity in your life? Is there, is there any addictions or habits that shouldn't, shouldn't be there? And, and if there is, w- would you find yourself humbly at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I, I cannot keep living like this. I, I find it incredibly phenomenal that, that God's holy love is one of his greatest sanctifiers. That you, you just put yourself in the middle of God's holy love. You can't not remain the same even if you wanted to try. And I love the whole context of this, of this verse of the filled to the fullness of God. Because the whole context is the love of God. And so what would it look like if Christ would actually dwell in your hearts through faith? What would it look like if you were rooted and grounded in love in his life? See, what would it look like if you were able to grasp the incomprehensible? See, what would it look like if somehow you would experience and know the love of Christ, which goes far beyond the academic understanding of it? If that was true and you were living like that, 
you couldn't remain the same, even if you wanted to. Why? Because the perfect holy love of God is a great sanctifier, purifier of your life. Because when the love of God comes in, it points out everything that is of you. See that motive? See that attitude? That's, that's wrong. I need that. And the love of Christ will radically change you if you allow him. The love of God is not a pat on your head. It's not just some embrace and accepting thing. It is a holy, perfect love which refines, it purifies everything that is not of Jesus in your life. So somehow, could you get wrapped up in Jesus and would you let him put his finger on anything and everything in your life that does not look like him and just say, Lord, will you get rid of everything? Will you do whatever is necessary in my life so I can be filled up to the fullness of who you are? And maybe none of you need this, but I need this. And it's going to demand that I walk in obedience. It's going to, ma- it's going to demand that I walk in response to him. And, and what if I would just keep saying yes to Jesus? And what, what if I would have a predecided yes that just says, Lord, whatever you ask, even before you ask it, I have already predecided my answer is yes. I'm in. So, Lord, whatever it takes, yes. Nathan, could I? Yes. Nathan, would you be? Yes. Nathan, would you mind going? Yes, I'm in. So, Lord, send me where you want to send me. Do what you want to do with me. Change whatever you want to change in me. But I want to say yes. If, if, it, if it means that the fullness comes to a full expression in my life, why would you want anything to hinder that? Why would you want sin to somehow prohibit that? So if God has been poking at something in your life, would you... Would you find yourself at the foot of the cross and repent and seek Jesus so that you could be filled to all the fullness of God, that you would be complete in him, lacking nothing, that you would, be a, you, you would grow into maturity, the fullness of Jesus in your life? And you have that, that's true, but we're to grow up into that and we're to mature into that. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord, I, I feel so inadequate trying to somehow grasp the fullness of God. But Lord, like Paul prayed, if somehow we can comprehend that which is incomprehensible, if somehow we can experience the very thing that is so beyond us, your, your life and your love, Lord, I'm convinced that somehow I can begin to experience the fullness of, of you in my life. And Lord, I realize I, I have a measure of that. I, I am in the river, but, but Lord, I, I do not want to be content with just having my, my ankles in the river. Lord, I want the fullness of the fullness. And so, Lord, I, I just... Lord, I want to walk in humility. I want to walk in diligence. I want to walk in obedience and just say yes. And Lord, whatever it is you need to do in my life, whatever, whatever you need to, uh, to, 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 to remove, to transform, to conform, to, tra- to change, to alter, Lord, I'm in. But Lord, I, I want this world to see a clear demonstration of you in and through my life. Lord, I don't want there to be a droplet of Nathan residing. I want it to be Jesus and Jesus alone. And Lord, I understand I'm participating. I understand I'm fully engaged in this thing. I understand I'm walking with you in this, but 
But Lord, could I somehow get out of the way so that you could be clearly seen? That when the world looks at my life, they, they don't see nothing of me. They see all of you. Not because I'm you, I, I understand that, but because I'm just a vessel through which you demonstrate yourself through, that I'm just merely the glove through which the hand demonstrates its power and strength. But Lord, I want the fullness of the fullness. Lord, I want to be like Elisha that just boldly, audaciously asks for a double portion. Lord, I don't want to just be a five-year-old content that I'm a, I'm a okay, I'm a male, but I'm good. I want to be a kid forever. Lord, I, I want to grow up into maturity, into the fullness of Jesus. So, Lord, would you somehow bring clarity to what this means practically in our lives? Lord, would you, would you let us walk in a great humility that we desire to be empty before you, that, that anything we're holding on to of ourselves would just be relinquished so that the fullness can fill us up? Jesus, could you, could you give us a hunger and a drive and a, and a diligence in, in the pursuit of you? Could we be intentional not to just be passive in our, in our Christianity, but could we just aggressively run after you with all that we have? And Lord, may you give us the grace to be obedient, to respond to your life, your love, your presence in our life. Lord, this generation, this world desperately needs to see you. Lord, this, this generation desperately needs to see the church, the fullness of you. So change us, Jesus. Pull us in. Press us down this river known as you. And Lord, we thank you for the possibility, the potential, the fact that we can actually experience the fullness and be filled up to the fullness of who you are. Wow, it's so amazing, Jesus. We love you. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.